This is Rugga Matrix America. Welcome to the show, everybody. It's actually been a very long time since we did the show, and um, that's kind of a shame, but that's partly because it's been so very busy on so many fronts on uh, uh, in rugby all over the world for Americans. Anyway, um, and we've been having a great time uh, covering it all, but yeah, yeah, it's been real busy. Uh, we've got a great guest this time, but first of all, just say hello to uh, Pat and Bruce. And before we get anywhere else, Pat, I think that uh, it's we haven't had a show since the CRC, have we? I don't think so. No, okay. Pat, I just I just want to bring up a little thing about the show leading into the CRC. We actually miffed some people. We 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 actually bothered some people because of some comments we and by we I mean you made about the athleticism of some of the players that were going into the CRC. Now, a few teams were called out, uh, Notre Dame being one of them. A couple of teams were sort of looked at Northeastern and Penn State. Uh, garnered some uh, implications that they really weren't very athletic. And um, having seen those guys uh, firsthand, I'd say that they are actually pretty athletic and they're pretty good athletes and they can play some sevens. And And I was especially, um, I suppose, pleasantly surprised by Northeastern at the CRC. Um, and I thought I'd just, before we get started, offer you uh, an opportunity to, as they say in the uh, um, PR biz, clarify your statements. So um, do you, ha- having seen the CRC, do you, do you go back on some of the things you say or do you stand by it? Um, I'll say that I'd go back on what I said about Penn State. Um, I lumped them in with when I was talking, you know, I mentioned Notre Dame um, and I didn't, you know, I don't know that I necessarily would go back on what I said about Notre Dame, but I, I think I threw Penn State in unfairly. Um, but to the heart of that, I mean, there's certainly a fair amount of, uh, unathletic people playing in the CRC. And I think that what I, what I was saying, um, I meant, except for, I would, I would extract Penn state from, so, from that so, statement. Okay. But you would stand by the, they wouldn't make your beer league softball teams comment, which was, uh, per- yeah, that, that may be a bit harsh. I would go ahead and say that they wouldn't be, you know, if I could go back and, and re-say it, I would say that, uh. They would you say they uh, wouldn't make the fast pitch team? They would definitely not make the fast pitch team. They they probably wouldn't have made my my intramural <laughs> flag football team. Um, of course, uh, I wasn't a very good flag football player, but I had a good team back in the day. So that's what I would and, and probably rephrase it as. Okay. I thought Notre Dame looked all right, but anyway, sort of. I thought Notre Dame looked all right too, and I thought Northeastern looked very good, and it was really great to see Dimitri Fthimio back playing and playing at a high level. Or well, trying to get his team to play at a high level, for that matter. But um, he looked—he actually looked terrific. He looked uh, completely different. I almost didn't recognize him because he's put on some weight. And I think how did how did his team do with, with this USA pool player and a former you know college football scholarship player? Outside of those two players, how did all those other great Northeastern athletes do? They—they uh, they hung on. <laughs> they hung on. All right. No, but. But still, they played some. They played some good rugby uh, along the way. Uh, and Bruce, um, we've you know we've had a lot going on, and certainly a lot going on for you personally, and uh, you know from everyone here, our commiserations on the passing of your father, and um, I hope you're doing all right. 
Yeah, I'm doing all right. He was uh, he was a really nice guy. He enjoyed his uh, he enjoyed his kids. He enjoyed his rugby. He enjoyed his grandkids. Enjoyed football. And I, you know, a lot of times he's been at games with my brother's Super Bowl ring and sitting there having more fans than the AC. That's for sure. Everybody's trying on the ring, uh, <laughs> taking pictures. Not a whole lot of people watching the games. Mike can attest all that. But uh, yeah, he's been a he's he's you know he's been my man for you know, my whole life, but he was his time. So, and I appreciate the thoughts. I appreciate all the nice emails and phone calls, et cetera, that I got from, uh, from everybody and, and, uh, some of the nice messages on Facebook. So, um, did your dad play? Did your dad actually play? My dad did not, my did not, my dad did not play rugby. He, he was, he got paralyzed when he was a cop. So, uh, so it was uh, a little bit, a little bit tough on him to uh play rugby but he, he he had he was one of the first laminectomies and he uh and so he was able to walk after five surgeries he was, he was in a wheelchair for like two years but um anyway let's get to our guests because okay. we have that, a lot of good stuff that we need to get out there um there's there's things that we need to do that, all right well we, we let's get get to our guest usa national team head coach mike tolkien mike uh really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show Thanks, Alex. It's good to be here and uh, good to share some thoughts post-tour with you. And uh, also my condolences to Bruce and uh, McLean family. I knew uh, Mr. McLean for well over 20 years. Very kind and generous man and uh, had the socialness and kindness of Bruce without the controversy. <laughs> he left that behind in his NYPD days, but um, uh, great, great man. Let Bruce be the controversial one. That's uh, that's great. Yeah, Bruce and Pat. All right. Uh, well, uh, well, I'll get started here, Mike, and we, we're we coming off uh, an 0-4, uh, 0-5, excuse me, an 0-5 uh, spring for the USA national team. Uh, several close losses, but in the end, all losses. Um, when we talked about this spring leading into it, um, we on the show discussed whether it was reasonable to expect a 5-0 and trip. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, I felt it was reasonable to expect that. But at the same time, you understand that, of course, you know, three and two, four and one, you know, even two and three. But was it unreasonable to have expectations as high as winning them all or going four and one and losing just to Ireland or something like that? Was that unreasonable? I don't think it was unreasonable. Uh, I'm, I'm certain that, uh, you know, we... Didn't expect to be sitting here with five losses after this uh, after this summer, and that, you know that's for sure. But uh, I certainly think it was a reasonable expectation. And when you look back at um, reasonable to be five and zero, oh, if you look back on the games, um, certainly we were in all of them. I think in the first three, our defense played very well, and our attack was sputtering. Uh, in the last two, our attack started to get some legs to it. Uh, saw some real nice passages of play, and our defense started to creak a bit. I think in the certainly the last half of the tour in the Japan game, that's when the defense really uh, really started to come a bit unraveled. But you know, if you look at halftime of the games, if you look at some of them up to the last couple minutes, um, you know we were playing ball in all the games, and uh, you know we had opportunities to win, and we didn't do the things that we needed to to win, and. Um, you know, it's it's a step up into the PNC. 
you know, we had some convincing wins against the teams that were at our level, a little below us with Romania, Russia, Georgia. Now we're stepping into teams who were better than us in terms of ranking. And uh, we showed that we were able to play with them. Now the next step is to do the things to win those. Do you feel like the the, the timing of, uh, you know, Alex has alluded to this in some of the stuff he's written um, this week. I know Bruce um, had mentioned some stuff on the podcast previously. Did you feel like the, the club schedule and the way that the domestic schedule leads into, especially this season, led into the way you were playing and your assemblies is – is is beneficial to the way, uh, you know, to your schedule, or is it is it irrelevant, or, or are we making too much of of maybe the the way that the setup has come in? Do, do you feel like you had all the tools um, in terms of time together and availability when you needed it to to make more wins this spring and summer? Well, I think you know, I, I think we had the time together. Um, the de- the first first week week and a half was definitely. Uh, a bit of a, uh, well, I don't know what the best phrase to put it is, but it, it, it was jumbled. You know, we had people coming in and out and missing a day here and a day there. And, uh, you know, we're looking at it. Uh, you know, we have PNC meetings um, coming up uh, in a few months, you know, and we're going to look to see if we can make the schedule for the summer through the PNC along with the USA schedule work and mesh a little bit. And there are some options on the table that we're going to propose. And, uh, you know, that, that first couple, first week and a half was definitely uh, definitely one where we were, we were uh, having a tough time keeping everything together. Having said that, you know, once we there, – there were some other factors and assemblies that played into it. Um, I thought the week before the Tonga game was tough. We stayed at the OTC because we could not find anything in Los Angeles, anything. And we went through all connections uh, to train properly. So we went to the OTC. We stay off campus there. There's a lot of commuting and shuttling. And it broke some of the momentum because we had that week in Glendale, week in Houston, and we had built up, you know, some real continuity with the squad, as Alex alluded to, you know, from the November tour, which is really critical. The bus rides, the team room, the meals together. Then the time in the OTC, which is a fantastic facility, but if you're commuting back and forth there for every meal and every session, it can really crack into that. So that we would probably do that a little differently. And I'll just ask you about the schedule of the PNC itself. I mean, you only get one home game. Um, Canada had what three? I don't if I'm right off the top of my head. Yeah, that's and right. It was obviously Canada it was the first three. year, and you had to jumble. You know, not you, but the organizers had to jumble things together. Um, you know, next year you'll have Samoa into it. But I mean, not only having one home game, um, and and doing the way that you you did, and seeing the way Canada did when they had three home games, um, is there any kind of sour grapes about the way that the, the schedule shook out in terms of where you were able to play? And on, on top of that, I mean, moving the the, the Tonga game was originally supposed to be in in Rio, which Rio Tinto down in Salt Lake City, which theoretically maybe would have had 10,000 fans and said it was in LA, which I'm not sure what the official numbers were, but it was considerably less. Yeah. I think, you know, we'll see what happens next year. I, I don't have sour grapes as long as what comes around goes around. If, um, you know, if we get our home games next summer, which, you know, we fully expect to get, you know, and, and Canada and the other teams in Japan are, are traveling a little bit. That's fair. You know, there's equity in the schedules and you have to play on the road and, as long as you get your share the next year, I'll be fine with that. Um, 
you know, some of the other teams who had to go to the east coast of Canada, you know, Fiji and Tonga both went to the east coast. So not only did they have quite a, a travel schedule themselves, but they were all the way in Kingston and in Toronto uh, and then Edmund, uh, we were in Edmonton. But, you know, they had two games over in the east coast. So I think that the PNC tournament is going to probably crack down on that and make it a true Pacific Rim tournament you know, Pacific nations where it would be on the West coast. So it was, uh, it was definitely a tough travel schedule, uh, definitely in the last two weeks. So, but it's something that we have to get over and learn how to play with. Mike, we've talked about this a million times privately, but, and we've also spoken about it on the show briefly and, and in a cursory way about player development and, and high performance player development and, and recently front row players in particular that there's dearth is the word that's that means not a lot right that's that right. Is correct yes so there's a dearth of props you can see my uh, my very limited vocabulary i was much better in the math sats um you know there's there's a dearth of of large and and capable props in in american and but I think throughout all the positions, I think that they're that probably the way we the way we structure our high performance development is a little bit disjointed. And is there anything that you would like to see along those lines that could possibly aid us? And and how can we all as as club coaches and and schoolboy coaches and and college coaches help in that way? And probably. The question a little too big for the job, but have at it. Yeah, you know, I think I think everyone is looking for big men up front, or certainly capable men. Um, you know, usually they, these days they tend to be quite big, but um, you know, we, you know, we had as you said, there was there's been a dearth of of props and front rows in our systems, um, but we feel we had some some good guys coming up. Um, and it was just a little bit of it's just a little bit of a time process. First off, uh, the age grades had some good good ball players. Um, you know, Travis Whitlock was very good for the under twenties, and we had him go down to uh, get some experience down in New Zealand, and he played a good uh, in a good club system down there for a few months. Got a lot out of it. TT uh, Lomasatelli playing with the under eighteens uh, and had some interest from Saracens, and he's a very good prospect. Um, Jordan Bowie, a very good prospect from St. Mary's, unfortunately got hurt in that final. Um, so it's just a matter of, of bringing these guys in, and it's just that period of time before they're ready. You know, some of those names should be – we should see them in the ARC and, you know, the upcoming uh, October series. Um, you know, and there are some players, you know, Mate had a little bit of a red card suspension, was unavailable. Um, you know, but it's still performing in France, you know, reasonably well. Um, but, you know, I would say in terms of the high performance development, it's just, you know, looking at the guys who are coming up through high school and college, making sure we're identifying them, getting them into the high performance programs of the 18s, the 20s, the All-Americans, and, and keep monitoring them and making sure they're going in the right places. So I think if you're talking about people around the country looking at that, you know, those are the things that they need to do. Identify the guys performing or who have the 
potential to perform well, who have the body type, the athleticism, to perform well in those positions, making sure that the under-18s, the 20s, the All-Americans, and even the uh, Eagle system are hearing about them and then getting them out to camps and, and into programs if they're good enough. Mike, I want to I want to follow up on that. I, I I get that part. That's that's not really what I meant, and I probably phrased it improperly. Was what about the say a guy can a, a, a top player at, at whatever level can get into camp for ten weeks? What about the other forty two weeks? Like that's what I'm talking about. The, is what's happening during those forty two weeks that the guy's not in camp? And what can we do? How can how can that be put into a high performance program for each of these guys? Because you know, it, as we uh, as we've stated before, and I th- actually think you stated on the show, is that they don't even know where to start. And a lot of times, the players and the coaches—not that they don't have the desire—they don't really know where to start. The players and the coaches. That's more what I was getting at. You know what? You know what? Um, I'm gonna. Uh, give you uh, two or three minutes or two or three seconds to think about that, Mike, because we're going to take a break. Uh, it's a terrific question because I was going to ask it myself. So obviously it's a terrific question. So, Mike, uh, think on that and uh, tell us your answer in a minute. We were going to take a break and we'll be right back on Rugby Matrix America, brought to you by Rugby Imports. Go to rugbyimports.com and the USA 7s tournament in Las Vegas. Don't forget. This time around, it's in the end of January. It's not in February. So check it out. Hey, fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. Okay, we're back on Rugby Matrix America and... uh uh, we were talking about player development and not only player development when they're in the Eagles uh, system, when they're under the Eagles umbrella for the ARC or in a camp or something like that. And we're with Mike Tolkien, USA uh, 15's men's national head coach. And Mike Bruce was asking you about uh, what what do we do with these up-and-comers? What do we do with these guys with so much potential who need help uh, during the time that they're not in camp, um, how do we help them? I would say, firstly, you know, if you had someone that you thought was special who fit the bill, uh, certainly you should get in touch with a na- the national team high performance director, Luke Gross. Luke would direct you to myself or to the, the coach in question here and the player in question, to myself, or say if it was a front row player, to our, our uh, scrum coach, Derek Dowling. He would give what he sees as his high-performance training schedule, and we would follow that throughout the season. I think one of the problems we have here is when you talk about high-performance training, you talk about five days a week in game on Saturday environment. One of the things we don't have here is a a five-day-a-week game on Saturday environment. So you have a little bit of a dichotomy there in what you're looking for and what you're asking for. You know, if you're looking for a high-performance player, is that player working a job? If he is, well, that cuts into his high-performance possibilities. If he's not, what club is he going to go to that offers him five days a week training, strength and conditioning, nutrition, specific coaching, working with the high-performance setup that can give him the training that he needs in that tense? So 
yeah, you can get that player in touch and that coach in touch with myself, with the particular coach of that area, that field, forwards, scrum, line out, whatever the case may be. The other part of it is, though, does he have the means and the environment to do that? And so right now in our country, very difficult to come across that. And that's what makes it challenging. And that's why some of the players who are going overseas are getting that environment. Um, it's obviously something we would like to do here, but right now we don't necessarily have the means to do it. Do you feel that you should be in a position to recommend a club, recommend a, a, a place for a player to go? I know that some clubs kind of chafe at that idea, the idea that you've got some favorites, things like that. But um, do, do you feel that you should make recommendations? And is there, um, is there a conflict of interest given your uh, long history with New York Athletic Club if you tell somebody to go there? I, don't, I, I really have no problem with that whether it's the athletic club or several other clubs around the country, teams who have gone out of their way or have the, have the means and possibility. Um, you can't blame every club. They just don't have the setup, the funds, what have you. Uh, if I feel that a club is right for a player to go to, to get better performance, to prepare him to be a national team player, uh, I have no qualms about sending him there. I mean, I, I, you know, I have, a job to do and trying to prepare my players to be the best players they can be for the national team is my job. Uh, how they get there might entail them going to club A, B or C and club A, B or C may be the athletic club. And so I, I, it's really above, you know, me saying, Hey, I want to help, help the athletic club and I'm going to pour our players in there from the national team into that club. You know, it's, it's way beyond that. My concern is making our national team the best team it can be and to get success. And if it means sending some players to the athletic club, sending some players to to Life or Golden Gate or some of the top clubs in the country, Glendale has a great setup, then so be it. Mike, I wanted to ask about, we were talking about player development of front rows, and it just seems like there are a number of young young guys still in the right age group who have maybe gotten one, two, or three caps um, that maybe are still playing around that just don't seem to be on the um, on the radar any longer. And I wonder, is that a position, you know, I'm talking about guys like Tony Papura, Will Johnson, you know, Tony's still playing in Boston. Will was playing with the, you know, Olympic Club. Um, it, Andre Leofau, Brian Howard. Just There's a number of guys, and I don't know that Brian's still playing rugby, but there have been a number of guys who've gotten one or two or three caps, and then they seem to sort of disappear. Is that a... Is that a nature of the position and in, 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 in bringing guys up and having to throw them into the fire and just see how they do and that's why they get their caps and then you find out maybe they, they, they can't cut it? I mean, why are there so many? It seems like it happens in front row more than, than other spots. Yeah, certainly there are guys who have been in that position where they've, they've been brought into camps, they've been brought into ARC, um, then they've been brought into the Eagle system, uh, made some appearances, and I think after evaluating all, evaluating all of the, you know, empirical evidence that you have, you know, the ARC games, the camps where they go head to head, the internationals, and you put everything together, all the data together, and the analysis and the player, um, it's the conclusion that he just isn't going to make it at this level. And I think if, I think when I'm, I'm saying if when this pool of front row players 
uh, and tight five players increases, um, you'll see less of that, and you'll see the guys really coming through and staying through. You know, this is all, this is all a process. You know, and and the front row is one small part of it. Um, it in some instances, obviously, it's a big part of it, but it's one. I should say it's one piece of it, and uh, you know, it's one that we have to build up, and it's a process. And currently, we're we're waiting for people that we are seeing as promising players come through. But there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a gulf in terms of age, experience, time between, say, a Pittman, a Fry, um, and then a Travis Whitlock, a TT, uh, a Jordan Bowie. You know, it's they're coming through, but you can't you can't rush people through. And if you're a person who thinks that player X on the Eagles is not ready or capable of being there, you still have to tell yourself that you can't replace a player until you have a player who's better than that player. You know, so player Y can't be replaced until you have player Z who's better than him. And I know that can be frustrating for, for fans to see, and it can be frustrating for coaches. But the fact of the matter is until you have a player to replace another player, you know, you just can't make the move. So sometimes it moves slower than we all want to. Hey, can I, can I, can I interject here a second? One of the things I don't think that, and, and we had started it, and then especially with uh, Babs and I had spoken about giving front row instruction, me, meaning there's, there's different things that front rowers can do, whether they're one-on-one scrummaging, two-on-one scrummaging, uh, you know, prop lock hitting the machine, uh, deadlift technique, uh, kettlebell swings, et cetera, things that could possibly help front rowers to get better and, and coordinate themselves with second rows and hookers and foot. You know, there's a whole lot of things that people can do. And, and, and Babs has been, he has reached out a little bit and I was helping him with it. Then when my dad took a little bit of a turn, I, you know, kind of fell off a bit and got a little busy with the AC and, and, and just so for whatever reason, but I do think that he's available. He's a pretty available guy to email, to, to Skype. He, he, he wants to do it. He loves scrummaging more than anything. Um, and I think that he is a resource. And if you do have someone that you think is good, they still have to do these things. Otherwise, they're never going to get to that level. No matter what, you, you don't just rock up and become an international prop. It just doesn't – that's not how it works. There's a process of development, and especially in terms of core stability, balance, technique, binding, just things that that take time to get good at. He has a pretty systematic way of helping you to get there. It's not a whole lot different than what Mike Crone does or Simon Hardy or all these different coaches around the world. But we also have a resource like that as well, And, and I think that we should use it. And we have other resources. Do you agree with me, Mike? I mean, I'm. I'm I, I do. I'm just, I'll reiterate what I said, you know, in the previous question that you asked is that's exactly right. If you're a coach who thinks he has a special player, reach out to Babs, to Derek Dowling. And, you know, Derek is back home in Dublin. He's a Leinster scrum coach. You know, he and two other guys go around and act as a resource, you know, at Leinster. And they have that all around the country, as do, you know, all the tier one countries. 
it would obviously be something we would like to do, but we don't have the resources as a country as of yet, you know, to have more regional people. But we do have Babs. If you are a coach who has a special player and you want to know how you should go about preparing him, training him, and making him into an international prop, if you think he's has the leaning towards that, then certainly Babs would be happy, more than happy to work you through that and the high-performance things that that player and coach need to do to get that player up to speed. I, Mike, I keep hearing you saying we don't have the resources, we don't have the resources. And I, and I think that the, the rationale behind that is that we don't have the money to pay someone to do it. But that doesn't mean that you as a coach can't take the bull by the horns and do it for nothing, which is essentially what 99% of coaches here do anyway. And so if you do have, like, if you have an interest in learning how to do it and learning what to do, it's, it's still worth calling Babs and practicing with the guys you have so that when that you take scrummaging seriously. And as, as everybody in the country starts to take scrummaging a little bit more seriously, our scrummaging will get better. I, well, when, when, I know, say we don't, when I say we don't have resources, we don't have for full-time positions where guys, right. tra- that's all they do is travel the country 48, right. you know, 48 weeks a year and work with specific people regionally. You know, do we have the resources of people who have the know-how? Absolutely. And you have a, the main resource there. And like I said, you know, he would be able to help out in any of the needs for a player of that caliber. Or if you think you have a player of that caliber. I do, I do not want to get bogged down in scrum talk for this entire show, but the scrum was a huge aspect of this spring and certainly against Japan. It, it destroyed the momentum of the game. The, the, the Eagles were right there. And apart from a soft try at the end of the first half, I thought we're looking really good. And then, then they didn't get to play any rugby for about 15 minutes um, and got trampled over. In a, in a just one of the most distressing sequences I've seen of uh, of rugby in a while. Um, is is it just the front row, Mike? Is it what is the scrum problem? And um, you know, is it a case? I mean, I, I I do agree with Bruce. Part of it is the competition that that players receive domestically. The I don't think the scrums in domestic competition or anything like the scrums they they face on the international stage. But but is it just the front row? What is the problem? No, it's never just the front row. I mean it's always it's always a you know it's a tight five thing. You know, you need you need a good push and good form from your from your locks. Um you need a little weight behind that. But it you know it's it's a it's a full it's a full eight man situation. You know, sometimes front rows certainly um are gonna get beaten. You know, you have a tight head who swims, you know, he's leaving himself vulnerable and uh, it's a get split. But, you know, you have you have different elements of it, but it comes down to an eight man issue. And uh, I just think right now, you know, I'm certainly not going to throw any of our players under the bus and say it's one person's fault or it's two props fault because it's not. I think it's more of a general issue of we need more depth at the position. You know, we need to be able to scrum down as a squad and have each guy in that front row challenging each other. You know, we need to have two tight fives who are really battling the heck out of each other. And um, until that time comes, you're not going to have that competition. You're not going to have the bearing down, you know, of 
you know, player X is coming at player Y and, you know, I want your job and I'm capable of doing it. And so we need that depth to, to help build that. Now, if you look at the, I, in looking at the summer scrums for us, uh, I think it was inconsistent. You know, I didn't think it was, there were moments where we looked very vulnerable and there were moments where we had an absolute solid platform. If you look at the attacking scrums from, from the last game, Japan, which you allude to, you know, there was a sequence where we were down on the five meter line and that's where we got into our real problems. You know, if you, if we had, we had two where we had collapsed, we had some young guys in there. Nick Wallace is just making his international debut. You know, he's, he's been in two internationals. He got his first cap. You know, you come in against a very experienced Japanese scrum who are all fresh, by the way, because none of them, neither the props nor the locks played against Canada. You know, and so you have an entirely fresh tight five besides the hooker come in and then you have a first capper. You know, it's, it's initiation by fire. If you look at some of the other scrums, we had an absolutely solid attacking platform uh, to attack from. If you look at others, Japan is penalized for collapsing, for coming in at an angle. So, you know, it, it's just inconsistent now and it needs more depth to it. You know, and that is, like I said before, that's going to take time and we all want it to happen faster, but it's going to happen when it's going to happen. And, you know, it's something the guys work hard at. They watch a lot of film. They do profiles every morning. They do core work. It, it, it's it's a nonstop thing. And, you know, it's frustrating to us as it, was, it is to everyone else out there. But there were times when it was solid. There's times where we attacked from a really strong base and it just needs to be more consistent. Mike, um, I asked you about this a lot after the Ireland game. I kept drilling you because, um, you know, it seemed like you guys were treated unfairly in the scrum um, by the referee. Hey, can I, can, I, can I ask you something? You were a pain in the ass during that. Holy I was? crap. If that were me, I'd have been like, Pat, will you leave me alone? <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of got that vibe from Mike that he wanted me to leave him alone anyways. But I'll ask it again. You're in friendly confines now. I mean, how much of the problem of the scrum, and I mean from the whole summer, is we need to be better in the scrum and we are not good enough um, and we, we're we not where we need to be, you know, we're not on par with some of these other teams. And how much is it that we just are perceived to be not very good and so that, that hurts us uh, with the whistle? That perception definitely comes into play. I mean, referees talk, they watch film, and next thing you know, you're not going to be the one who is saying, hey, the American scrum is, isn't good. Um, obviously, if the last few referees called it, then I need to look out for this as well. So I think that creeps into referees' minds. You know, we had post-game reviews with um, with Francisco Pestrano, who was in the Ireland game. And, you know, I, I, I thought in some instances we were treated unfairly. I thought that, you know, Ireland at times was coming in at an angle and it wasn't called. I thought that when our attacking scrum went down, it was a reset. And when theirs went down, it was an automatic penalty. Um, so I thought there were instances and, you know, evidence was, was, was presented as usual, you know, post game and, uh, you know, Hey, and some of them, Francisco agreed, you know, that maybe, maybe it wasn't something that we were doing, but maybe it was a different way of looking at it. Maybe it was something Ireland was doing. And, uh, you know, I, I do think that if you, if you look through that game at each scrum and who went down at who's put in, um, and I think there were also clear examples of of, of um, engagements from the front row at an angle, you know, I, I do think we were treated a little bit harshly in that. 
overall. But if you're better, you get those borderline calls. Uh, you do. If you're better in the scrum. You, you do have to get better. I think that I think it's very easy, though. And you're right, Alex. If you're better, you get some of those calls. Also, an opposition knows that you're being looked at in a lesser way. And so if they bring it down or they do something that makes you look like you're weak there, it, you're going to get the call. You know, Japan, Japan did that. They were the, hey, we're going to go scrum because we know any scrum is now going to be penalized. You know, and I do think I do think that against Japan, we I thought the refereeing in the scrum was very patient with us. And Japan was also penalized a couple of times. Uh, I thought he did a pretty good job on that scrum. Um, one one issue when we were down there inside the 22 during that extended period when their eight man knocked on, it wasn't called. That was a opportunity to get out of that. That we uh, unfortunately. That we didn't get, so we needed that break, too. Um, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about something else. We're going to talk a little bit about the attack and perhaps some positives as well. We are here on Rugby Matrix America, brought to you by Rugby Imports and also by the USA Sevens in Las Vegas. We'll be right back. Rugby fans, don't forget that the USA Sevens International Rugby Tournament is not that far off. I know it's the beginning of summer, but it's not too soon to start clearing your calendar for the biggest rugby party on U.S. soil. The USA Sevens will bring 16 of the best international teams to Las Vegas on January 24th to 26th. Yeah, it's two weeks earlier this time, and don't forget, there's also the Las Vegas Invitational. You're a rugby fan, and you're also a rugby player, and the LVI has competitive opportunities for Sevens, Fifteens, Young, Old, and in between. High-level or just here for the fun. It's all in Las Vegas. Everybody's here for the fun in Las Vegas. Go to USA7s.com for more. Hey fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. Okay, we're back here on Rugged Matrix America, and don't forget that that USA Sevens tournament is in January, not in February. They're moving it because of the Winter Olympics, so don't forget that now you're uh, you're going to be doing it before the Super Bowl, not after. Uh, check it out at USA7s.com. Uh, we're back with Mike Tolkien, USA Men's 15s head coach, and and Mike, we talked about the scrum. We talked about some sort of expectations. We talked about young players, things like that. I, I think for me, you know, as much of a surprise as I, I was really excited about the uh, the attacking uh, element of the USA team, and 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 still uh, excited about the desire to attack. But what we did see was uh, a lack of tries and uh, three straight games where the Eagles didn't score any tries, and then finally scored a try against Fiji, and then. Um, Two tries against Japan, and I will say that um, especially the the second try against Japan, uh, the one that Eric Fry scored was a was a great try because it's, it's a try that you don't see that often, which is a team taking the ball and going phase 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 and marching their way down the field, doing exactly what they want to do and and keeping their concentration all the way through. And I don't know how many phases it was, probably six, seven, or eight, and sixteen, uh, six, 16, 16 yeah. phases. All the way down the field and into the try zone and, and and a try and you don't see that 
very often. Once you get to like three or four uh, phases, then something weird happens. Uh, so that was an impressive thing, but we didn't see more of it, and we didn't see a lot of line breaks. Um, tell me ab about that. Uh, were, were you disappointed with that? And what are some of the things that needed to be done or needed to be accomplished? I think you know coming at coming off the um, especially the Romania performance, but you know the whole November in general, we were playing some good attacking ball. We were getting line breaks, we were scoring tries, um, so that was good. I think the, you know the players bought, bought into that way of playing. Uh, but you move into a step up, you know, every team we played is ranked higher. The defense is, is more stingy, tighter. Um, so it's not going to come as easily. And I think what our guys were fighting there was staying patient, you know, and having a stick to itness uh, about the way they played attack. Um, so we really made a big point, you know, of, uh, of being patient and really sticking to playing through the phases, holding on to the ball. You know, we really emphasized the three plus phases trying to get that number at 65%. If we, you know, when you get, even an in international, it seems crazy. When you play, when you get to three phases or third, fourth phase, good things happen. Line breaks, penalties. It, it just starts putting the defense under more pressure and it doesn't have to be 10 phases, but we were really emphasizing a lot more the, uh, the need to hang on to it and to be patient and I think against Fiji and Japan, we really were able to do that. And, you know, one of the one of the comparisons I made to the guys is, you know, we do it in training, you know, but then in the games, we just kind of we, we were throwing it away. And it would be like, you know, if you rehearsed for a play for two months, three months, and then you get on stage for opening night and you just sang different songs or did different acts, you know, it, it's the same thing. It's we're practicing, we're rehearsing, we have a game plan. And then we're kind of throwing it away very early. And I think um, the opening sequences against Fiji in the first half, we had a whole bunch of those sequences, but we had a case of the drops in those uh, in that game. Um, and we kicked away some good possession in the 22. But in Japan, we played through the phases a lot more. We had that really good fry try. We had another try. It started off a turnover, but played through the phases. And Walsey ended up scoring. And we actually had a third try in that game played through the phases, and then got it into Luke's hands, and he uh, he grubbered it down and scored that on his own. So we, we scored three tries. In the, in the Fiji game, we threatened uh, in the half a lot better, and we were in the game attack-wise. So it's just a matter of getting guys to focus on that patience and playing through the phases, looking for the opportunities. Yeah, I... I, I I'm was talking about two tries in the first half, right? I, I, I didn't I didn't miscount that number of tries at all, completely. Uh, um, is it partly personnel? I mean, do we do we have to fall back on personnel? The 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 way we treat this, you know, if if we were if we were talking about, um, you know, we weren't talking about the the USA national team Eagles, and we were talking about, say, I don't know, the the Chicago Eagles professional rugby team in in a major professional league, we would simply probably be analyzing analyzing it and saying, we need to get this guy out and we need to get that guy in. You know, that's all. That's what you talk about when you talk about professional teams. But as as Bruce brought up, you know, you talk about here. We talk about player development. We're we're talking about the entire process. But at some point, can we just go simply and say, you know, and, and I I said it in a in a column. You know, you really need Paul Emmerich in there. Paul Emmerich is is a guy who makes things happen. Uh, do you need Samu Manoa there all the time, or is that 
is is that a dangerous road for you to go down because you'll just sit there and and lament the fact that somebody is hurt or somebody's not available or somebody is you know MIA you can, ne- you can never go down that road because you have to be prepared for every situation and if we start relying on certain players all the time and when those players don't go the whole team is deflated they don't think that they can win without them the coaches don't then you're really at a dead end. Then you've really pushed yourself into a corner. We have to be able to win with 25, 28 guys. And there is no doubt that certain players are impact players. You know, uh, Manoa and Emmerich, you know, are clever. They're impact players that are very important to a team. But you have to find ways to win without them. And it just might mean playing differently. It might mean winning differently. I mean, the All Blacks didn't pack up their World Cup hopes when their first three fly halves went down and in a smaller scale we have to be able to win the same way because you're talking about a contact sport you're talking about international sport you're talking about a sport where there's going to be changes and especially in the tier two teams where you don't have your players contracted to you there are different circumstances that come into play so we have to learn to win with different players and we have to learn to win against teams that are higher than us. And it's a process, Alex. And I think from, if you look from last June to this June, we've made tremendous progress. If you look at our benches, if you look at the players who played against Fiji, you know, Fiji won the Pacific Nations Cup. We played a full metal jacket Fiji team with all their French professionals the scrum half who was the Robo Direct Player of the Year and probably one of the most exciting scrum halves in the world. We played that full metal jacket with uh, a team with a lot of reserves playing, you know, for rest purposes. Down 17-10 at half and into the second half, two tries, two bad tries. But, you know, we're in the game for a long time against a full metal jacket, top 10 team. Um with a lot of reserves that we've built over the last year. So to me, that puts us in a great process mode. And that's what we need to do. And if you were a minor league team who came up into the major leagues, you're not going to win automatically against the best. You might beat some of the bottom guys to begin with, but it's a process of building up your team and your program I think we've done that, and I think if you look ahead to the ARC in October, you're going to see an infinitely stronger, more experienced team than you saw last October. So that's what we look at, and hey, I Mike. know again it can be a little. Yep, I know. I know it can be a little frustrating hey. to fans and viewers, and it's frustrating to us at times. But the process has to happen, and it is happening, and we will win those games. Mike, I was just that. That's awesome. I was the key performance indicators because you were talking about wins and losses. Take those off the table and just say, you know, whatever results are results. What are the things that you felt were great and that you could build on as far as performance indicators outside of of uh, of games and inside of games? I mean, there's certain things like guys going to practice, guys being healthy, et cetera, that that's awesome where their numbers are going up and their weightlifting, et cetera, the fitness scores. And then key performance indicators in games, like line-out success. I and mean, you can't, can't discount the fact that our line-out has been fantastic offensively and defensively. 
Uh, you know, so there's a lot of things. What are some of the things that have been awesome that you're really happy about? And some of the things that, you know, you may want to build on it. You may not want to mention those because you're playing. But some yeah, of the things that have been some, awesome. Some things we don't want to uh, put out there. But I thought in the first three games when our when our defense was going well, our our tackle percentage was excellent. You know, we were in the 90 percent. One of them, we were 92. Um, I don't think we'd we'd ever we'd always been pretty good. You know, it's a very good, but we hadn't had consistent 90s for, you know, for the course of three games. Uh, and so those were when we were going well on defense, those were some indicators. Uh, forced turnovers were, were big indicators of how we were going on defense. Um, the tries allowed, obviously, uh, was a team indicator. Um, and then when our attack started going well, as opposed to not going well, uh, the amount of phases that we were playing through, um, you know, th those things were 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 going well the quick rucks the time was increasing you know as an indicator uh of how of how the attack was going so you know those were important indicators for us and um the penalty count another thing that remained pretty low you know we look for i think it's pretty standard certainly not a secret teams would like to have under 10s for that penalty count and a few are always going to be blown and a few are legitimate and so our discipline was good. We didn't commit. We were under that, that 10 for the most part for all five games. Uh, our discipline in terms of cards was good. I think we had one card uh, the whole tournament. So, you know, those things were going well for us. And, and it indicated how our attack went better, how our defense went better. Goal kicking, also pretty solid. Yeah, another thing we were happy about, Wilesy did a really, really good job goal kicking. Um, and the other thing is, you know, we have Adam Siddle. So we've developed, and you know, it was one of the things that we set out to do that we hadn't had in a while, develop several goal kickers, you know, top-line goal kickers. So Wilesy and Siddle were both very capable. You know, you know? Um, uh, and, and speaking to that, um, you know, you're talking about developing players, developing, you know, giving players time. Um, I, I actually thought privately, quasi-privately, that, that Toby Lestrange was in danger of losing his starting position. At fly half, and it, he was somebody because the, the offense was struggling. It was somebody you could have sat down, um, and you didn't. I, I, I mean, I, I think you, you, you put him in there against Fiji, and then you kept him in there against Japan. And I think that sometimes it's not about developing, you know, bringing in new guys or, or playing more people. Sometimes it may be about, you know, backing a guy. Um, and would you, would you say that there was, I mean, th th that you decided to stick with him partly to help, help his confidence, help him play? Yeah. I mean, we, we have a lot of faith in Toby. We, you know, we, we like the way he runs our team. We like his distribution skills. Uh, we like the way that he plays 10 and, you know, an international 10, remember Toby's not too far into his international career. You know, he played three games in November. And those were his first three games. And now it's his second stint back against stronger competition. So, you know, he needs he needs to build up international game time against better experience. And any any fly half, any quarterback is going to go through some some ups and downs. But we believe he's the man and uh, we're, we're pleased with him. And we also know that we have to build up backups, you know, as, as that's a valuable position. And we feel that we have some players in the system who can back them up and we're going to start to get them more game time, you know, mainly through the ARC, but then through full international. So, 
Yeah, I, I think Toby was a case of, hey, we believe in him. And and again, like everybody, like I mentioned before, you don't know what it's like until you go out there. Absolutely, I have no idea because it's. I mean, it's it's for as as good. And I hear it so often. Somebody looks at, at an eagle performance and they'll say something like, "We should have just sent Belmont Shore out there, and it would they would have done better." You have absolutely no idea about the intensity, the speed, and the physicality of the game until you experience it. Yeah, even you know, even when you're there, if you're watching from the coaching booth, and then you go down to the field, it's a it's a whole nother game. Even being at the stadium and watching it, the intensity at field level is, you know, that's why it's test rugby. It's 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 incredible, the physicality, the fitness, uh, just the desire of the players. So you you don't have you know you don't have a knowledge until you're right there in the fray. And and is it fair to say that that you kind of have to learn the level of desire? I mean, watching watching the uh, the Australia Lions Test match, and and uh, you know I was watching that, trying to balance that with the USA Japan game, and realizing how how those players fight for um, for everything. But they you know if you know, a ball carrier will fight for every inch, but then at the same time he's fighting to control when he goes down. What it, where his support is, where that ball is. He's fighting for everything and then not knocking the ball on in contact, being completely in control as much as he can um, in, a, in a ferociously intense environment. And I think that some of the USA players are used to running over players domestically. They used to just, oh, I just run through here and I go score a try. And now they have to fight for every little inch. And I, and I think sometimes, sometimes they stop. It's like they stop moving their legs. Because they're yeah. just—they're not used to it. They have to learn that. And, you, and people say, "Well, you, how can you? You should have the desire." Well, it's not desire. It's—it's—it's it's, it's understanding how to focus your desire. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the mind is always going to control the body, or it should do anyway. You know, and you know when your mind controls what you're doing physically, you know that's when you, you bring on the, the next level—the the psychological aspect, the the, the the fighting for every inch. Um, you know, to make every inch, but to keep the ball under relentless pressure. You know, you have a guy on the other side of you who's doing everything he can to get that ball back in his hands. And it's like a level that you've never experienced before. If you're a young player or a domestic player here, and all of a sudden you're going against someone who's been playing Super 15, Premiership Top 15, plus international ball, and it's like nothing you've ever experienced, and there's only one way that you can adjust to it. It's by experiencing it, going through it, and then being able to make the adjustment saying, hey, this is the real deal and we have to be able to respond to this, or I do. And if I can, I'm not going to make it. And if I can, then I can make a go of this. Mike, as we, as we look forward to the, uh, to the Canada tests, how much time are you going to have together and where are you going to be? How are you going to, how are you going to approach that? Because I, I guess the guys are off now, but what's, what's the monitoring system and going through and you know what's your plan basically from today through august 24th well the plan is everyone that we have in camp 30 well there'll be 30 to start with and then internationals will come in with the with the international window when it opens um so i'd say all together we'll probably have 40 people involved in this uh right now they'll be resting following the tour obviously much needed rest uh after that rest period uh, Davey Williams will have them on. They'll each have a, uh, 
a performance weights conditioning program that they'll be doing. I know a lot of them are, are going to clubs to work together. You know, for example, a bunch of them will be out in Glendale working with Davey, you know, around the Glendale setup, and that's good. Um, I know the guys in New York are, will be working together um, at NIAC, Old Blue, but, you know, mainly working together. And then you have the professionals who are starting overseas preseason. So they'll be doing their program, obviously. So that'll be the type of monitoring stuff that we'll be doing, um, you know, skill sessions for this, especially for the specialists, kickers, um, throwers, that type of thing, fly halves, scrum halves. You know, they'll have programs that they need to do. And then we'll come together uh, just about two weeks before the first game. Are you going to be you're going to be training on site in uh, you know in South Carolina? Yeah, we'll be in South Carolina. Okay. Is that and, and you you mentioned um, about you know the the training challenges in Southern California. Is there something to be said for for picking a central training spot no matter where you're playing? And saying we're always going to play, we're always going to train in Colorado, and then we'll fly out or something like that. Um, or because, of, given the size of the country and the different conditions you face in a different environment, it would make sense to always be on site where you're going to play. I would say mostly on site, but there there is something to be said about a central place. But uh, we're big believers in if there can if you're going to be playing in conditions, you should be on site. Like it was important that we trained in Houston. If we were going to be playing at altitude, Denver is a great spot. Um, South Carolina is going to be conditions. So we need to get used to those conditions. So for the most part, we'll, we'll go to conditions. All things being even, you know, if conditions weren't really going to play into it, you know, we do like play, uh, training in Glendale. It's set up for everything that we need. Um, and, they, you know, they promote rugby, which helps our cause. So, um all things being equal, it's nice to have a central location, but if there are conditions involved, we'll go on location, on site. All right. Well, perfect. Uh, USA 15's men's head coach, Mike Tolkien, uh, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. And obviously, we'll be uh, keeping an eye on things as you build up toward your World Cup qualifiers uh, playing in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and then moving on up to Canada to play the second leg of that. Hopefully you'll uh, be able to win that series and qualify, but uh, certainly we'll be uh, looking for some improved performances. And we want to thank you so much for the time. And that will do it for the rest of us as well as Pat and Bruce and I, Alex Goff, editor-in-chief of RugbyMag.com. Thank you for listening to Rugga Matrix America.